Hey, how's it going, pal? Today is Monday, July 20th, 2020. We did goat yoga on Saturday, which is just what it sounds like. Some interpretation of yoga with goats hopping all over your back. Nice time, lovely. My goat impression. They're very quiet goats, they are. And then every 8 to 12 minutes, one will just go, And you're like, what? what? Why is that sound coming out of you? That's not a sound I anticipated coming out of you, goat. But they're cool goats. They, I noticed now that I had a chance to interact with them up close, they lack the nuance that dogs have. Dogs are much, I think, gentler, some of them anyway. They're less awkward. <laughs> uh, and they, they seem to have a deeper soul than a goat. But not to disparage the goat, because I quite like the animal. It's just, it's a klutz. It's an oaf. But I sense a good heart from a goat as well. We did yoga and then kayaking later that night. Someone said it was a very white day for me. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know if that's appropriate. That's what someone said. I guess it was kind of a white, well, a lot of white people activities. Yoga and kayaking. Now I'll tell you more about the kayaking uh, in a bit. I'll tell you a lot of stories today. Because that's the point of the podcast, right? Storytelling. I want the podcast to be successful, and I've had a lot of listeners, but sometimes I'll see what else is out there in the media, and I know you folks have a lot to choose from. My podcast is just one facet of a billion faceted entertainment options. I saw one of the biggest podcasts today in terms of downloads is a guy who pees in his own mouth. I thought, well, I mean, how can I compete with that? There's another one out there that has a huge following where a guy just gets stung by stuff. He'll just poke it like a snake or a bee until it stings him. I can't compete with that. My little witty asides can't compete with someone urinating in their own mouth. I get it. It's an uphill battle, this podcast. But I'm going to stay on brand. I'm not going to resort to that yet. But tune in next episode. Stay on brand. How's the quarantine going? I feel like I'm a pretty good dad in quarantine during these pandemic days. Uh, finally, the world has slowed down enough to allow me to do some good dadsmanship. Teaching those deep lessons. Taking the kitties on some road trips, exploring the wilds of Pennsylvania. Done a number of PA road trips this summer, particularly with the little one. And it's the dad I always envisioned I would be, but never quite had the time to be. The actual dadmanship I was doing pre-pandemic was a lot of driving around, a lot of shuffling from point A to point B. And the world was so busy, practices, games, homework, blah, go, 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 that I almost hardly had a chance to be a dad. But now I'm doing a good deep dive into it. And I got to say, I think I'm killing it.
I think I'm killing it. So, kind of don't want the world to go back to the way it was. But it will. And there are things that I do miss. But I would have been a better 80s dad. I think a dad in the 80s. There was much less going on. My 80s dad bought one of the first big screen TVs. If you're a close friend of mine, you remember sitting in my living room watching this thing. And the thing about the early big screen televisions were the technology wasn't quite there yet, was it? And what I mean by this is you'd have to stare directly at the television sitting immediately in front of it. If you had a view that was slightly off to the side, the whole thing would dark out. You had to have that perfect angle to view an early big screen television. Moral dilemma. I walk the dog a lot. And I bump into dog walkers as well. When Lucy will say relieves herself, I, as I like to think, quality dog walker will always have a bag ready, scoop it up, and throw it in my own trash can. Now, question you. Dog poop in hand, would you put it in someone else's can? Say it's trash day. Or say trash day is just ended and the cans are still on the curb. I know some do and some have and I've discussed this. I said that's wrong, man. Here's the thing. You don't know how this other person treats their trash can. They may Lysol, disinfect it, and keep it in their bedroom, for all you know. It may be their most prized possession. And they could be horrified to learn that someone threw a dog turd in there. Oh, but it was in a bag. Yeah, I know it was in a bag, but still. What you're doing is presuming that the values you have are shared by this neighbor that you're putting the dog crap in. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why I told this person. I said, no, I don't put it in other people's cans. I'll put it in a neutral can, sure. A park trash can, that's in my jurisdiction. But someone else's can, that's a presumption I'm not ready to make. I talked about the band Fish in the last podcast episode, uh, and someone uh, mentioned it. And uh, we got into a discussion of when you listen to music, do you listen to lyrics or do you listen to instruments? And by the mere fact that Fish is one of my favorite bands, I think that already explains my answer, which is instruments. Fish not known for their lyrics, nor do they have a ton of them. But boy, do they go into the deep jams. So I am more of a instrument music person than catching a big message off a lyric. Sometimes I don't even hear the lyric. But there are songs that have, that have moved me, lyrically. But far and few between, I go for sound. But one band that nobody has ever said prior to having sex, hey, we should put uh, on They Might Be Giants. Nobody has ever said that prior to intimacy. Put on the They Might Be Giants. I got really into music. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, I'm here to admit now, but I think the statute of limitations is lifted because it's a decade ago. But in the early aughts, I and maybe you were big into illegally downloading and burning music. I became addicted. It was a problem. I don't have a lot of vices. Not a cocaine guy. But I did really get into illegally burning music. 
I had a whole system. I, there were these two sites, LimeWire and Pirates Bay. And uh, it, technically, it was a pretty complex idea. The idea being you wouldn't steal a song. You would steal like maybe one millisecond of a song. And then from another source, you would steal the next millisecond. And then at the end of the song, you would put it through a compressor and it would piece the whole thing together. It was like that Johnny Cash song in which he steals a car one piece at a time. I spent an embarrassing amount of time in a little room in my house burning music and having tons of blank CDs ready to go and labeling them with a Sharpie. But it did start to get sketchy. And do I feel morally, you know, bad about this now? I, I've complex morality about this. A, sure, I stole some, something. Not, not a thief guy, generally. I pretty much always. I'm not, I'm not a guy who's going to steal something. But B, my rationale for illegally burning music in the aughts was that I then was the only guy showing up at these poorly attended concerts in Philly supporting these bands. I was the guy at the Mountain Goats show at the Iron and Wine show, at the Moldy Peaches show, hooting and hollering at the front of the stage, gladly paying the cover charge, strongly supporting my waitresses and bar staff. So yes, I got your CD for free, but I made your touring concert experience a little better, Devandra Banhart. I did. So I think I'm morally in the right, but I did feel like a Russian hacker splicing all of these songs together. I mean, it was stressful. And I remember I heard of one woman in Minnesota was arrested for illegally downloading music. That was the rumor that one woman in Minnesota got arrested. <laughs> and I was scared straight. I didn't burn one CD illegally after that. They had to bust someone, a sacrificial lamb. I wonder if she's still in the slammer. That's the deal. <laughs> Somebody had to take a fall. I'm glad it was this woman in Minnesota and not me. I had a friend who was also pretty big into burning music at that time, and he had a similar scare. I remember seeing him one morning, and he looked white around the gills. He looked very nervous. <laughs> it was dangerous. We were living on the edge in the early aughts. I had to stop, though. My, I remember my wife one time came up. like This was after like seven hours of burning music. She's like, is this, is this all you're going to do then? Like, with your life. She meant, like, the co on the cosmic level. Like, so this is it? You're just going to burn music then. And I, I it kind of thrust me out of a daze. I thought, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even think of what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Now that every album is, is available to me at my fingertips, I didn't even think of what happens next. But I'm out. I got out the game. You should protest for that woman in Minnesota. Some amnesty for her. One of the coolest music experiences I've had, 
and coffee experience, I'll combine music and coffee here, was a couple years ago, uh, I uh, um, know the keyboard player from the 60s and 70s and 80s funk soul band Sister Sledge. You may recall their famed hit, We Are Family. So like I said, I'm friends with the keyboard player, and he invited me to come to the bass player's house one nice Saturday afternoon to watch them jam. They had an upcoming concert, and they just wanted to tighten up a few things. Now, it wasn't the whole band. It wasn't Sledge herself. It was just the rhythm section. Just the bass, drums, and keyboard. And it was down in the basement, and what a wonderful Saturday that was. The bass player, I think he doubled as a dentist. Some of these uh, musicians had, like, you know, other gigs. He was a very kindly African-American gentleman. And I remember while I was sitting there, he was very nice to me. And he went up to and he offered me, he got me a cup of Senka. He got me a nice cup of, of decaf. And it was, it was the nicest cup of coffee I've ever had, sitting in this cozy basement couch, watching Sister Sledge rhythm section lay down those funk tracks. I would have to characterize that as my favorite cup of coffee. I believe the bass player was wearing a cardigan sweater, too. It was just, it was a magical afternoon, folks. So, we got to get the entertainment going again, right? Live music, not a lot of that these days. This is, I mean, part of our problem with society, it, it probably in Trump's mind, would be get the sports going because if there's not that entertainment, we're going to riot about real things, about real problems. Isn't entertainment the national dope? Marx said religion is the opiate of the masses. I think the NFL is the opiate of the masses. But now not even that is an opiate. That's a ground for war as well. So, when simple minds don't have entertainment, they start to think. Would our battle for civil rights be as attended by white middle class if Coles hadn't shut down for two months? You see what I'm saying? This is a cynic in me. Would Karen continue to care if there wasn't a disruption in Coles, I hope she would. And maybe she would. And maybe we've reached the national tipping point that these issues are bigger than entertainment now. I hope so. But we'll see. So, no big trips. It's been more of exploring the wilds of Pennsylvania this summer, which is no problem with me. I enjoy the Keystone State. Find it an absolute gem. An embarrassing amount of history and nature. We went up to Jim Thorpe and brought our dog Lucy. She did not like going on vacation. Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania is a uh, funky, cool little mountain town. Kind of a surreal, witchy, with some interesting history. But Lucy did not like going on vacation. I think she felt that maybe we were getting rid of her. She just, she never felt settled in a new house. She's like, what's going on? Is this it? Have we moved? A dog can't comprehend the idea of a vacation. I feel like Lucy just wants, she likes ordinary time. 
She doesn't like when we're going on trips. She doesn't like when we're going away. She likes the regular schedule. That's her favorite time. And we got home from this trip to Jim Thorpe, and she seemed horribly depressed. Like, was that a trial period? They're going to get rid of me later? She was so depressed, we had to take her belt and shoelaces. And then we rolled right into the 4th of July, which is an absolute nightmare for her with all the loud noises. She hid under our bed and said her rosaries. Absolute nightmare of a week for Lucy. But it was kind of fun vacationing with my dog. I haven't done it too often. Obviously, my dog is my best friend, so it was cool to have your best friend along with you. Even next year, if we return to our big European trips, if the pandemic lifts and travel is all good again, I'm tempted to bring Lucy. Bring Lucy to Croatia or Greece. Pay the $40,000 that are required for dog shots or whatever astronomical fee and paperwork that will be needed to bring this this rescue dog they found in the streets of Atlanta to bring her to Greece <laughs> to show her what Greece is like the thing is it would be lost on her she wouldn't care she would be concerned the whole time that we're gonna leave her in Greece she would say let's just get back to ordinary time but I would find this, I would pay for this rescue dog any amount of money to get her through quarantine with any vaccinations that were potentially required. Because it's fun to walk your dog. I've walked my dog a million times and I've never regretted one of those walks. <laughs> Always a good walk, every single time. And in the theme of exploring the wilds of Pennsylvania, made it out to Gettysburg. I think I mentioned in the last podcast I read a uh, historical fiction novel called Angels, Gods, and... <laughs> what's it called? I can't remember. Gods and General? Oh, The Killer Angels. I want to say Angels and Demons. No, that's, that's a Dan Brown uh, Da Vinci Code author, right? No. Uh, the Killer Angels and uh, Gettysburg was really cool. I did like reading the book. I'm wondering like why these battles even happen. Why wars happen. Let me take a sip of Diet Canada Dry and explain what I mean. Like, I don't know, man. The unbelievable bravery of going over a hill and little round top with your bayonet fixed ready to jab it into someone else's chest I mean that's insanity right would I have that level of commitment to either cause I won't even argue the north or the south and clearly the north was in the right here but uh, you know remove the cause just the the sheer insanity of, of being ready to kill someone like, my goodness. And I think partly this becomes okay uh, in, in your mind if you're so repressed like some of these gentlemen probably were, writing to their loved one, dearest Martha, it's been 20 months since our last 
intimacy. Like, you know, they're all backed up. They're all backed up. Of course you'd run over a, a mound with a bayonet fixed. Your love life is all messed up. This is why these suicide bombers, you know, they'll, of course they'll fly a plane into a building. They're all bunged up. They're not relaxed. 27 virgins in the afterlife. Come on, man. That's a scam. I feel like this is why the Vietnam War never got off the ground. There was a lot of good partying going on at home. People were like, ah, do I really care if this country in Asia becomes communist or not? Do I care? It's tough to sell a cause sometimes. But it's easier when the men have, you know, not a lot else to do. What else are you going to do in 1865? Like, all right, I guess everyone else is is heading to Gettysburg. But in some ways, I think it would be easier to live in that time because you're not paralyzed by choice and all the choice that we have today. Like if your grandfather was a blacksmith and your father was a blacksmith, guess what? You're going to be a blacksmith. So you don't spend thousands of hours on the internet searching for your career going to interviews, taking personality tests to see which job would suit your your temper the best. You're, you're a blacksmith. Your dad was a blacksmith. Your grandfather, you're just... There's something maybe comforting in that. That your fate is almost predestined. You can remove that giant existential crisis from your life. You know what you're going to be, and you're going to have a ton of generational support behind you to be that. But, obviously, if it sucks, if your family trade sucks, then you probably do want to get out of it, right? And maybe this is the idea that America was founded upon. But it was cool seeing the battlefield. Uh, everything closed, no tours, so it was just empty battlefields, statues, and plaques, which is really how I wanted it to be anyway. I read my book. I had my book in my brain. I had context as I looked upon these hills, and that's all I needed. Very quiet sort of introspection on the battlefield of Gettysburg. Haunting it was. And then right outside of the battlefield lines, you know, capitalism is just spilling over with a sea of McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chickens and a couple mom-and-pop places, and I like that they would make allusions and puns to Gettysburg itself and the battle. I don't know if this would be a pun, but I saw one uh, proprietor store. It was Pickett's Charge Orthodontics. Pickett's Charge Orthodontics. Pickett's Charge, a famed uh, movement on day two of the battle. Or perhaps day three, in which the Confederacy failed in an attempt to break the Union line. But really, no connection to orthodontics, I would say. This maneuver by Robert E. Lee. In fact, when I think of the Civil War, I don't think of dental hygiene at all. It's not like the first 400 things I think about is orthodontic work. I also saw General Lee's buffet. 
And you can say that this is garish, and no doubt it is, but there's a little part of me that admires the mom-and-pop business. It's com comically American, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't get to offend. I know some people will say we don't hold history sacred. You know, the mere fact that you would have these stores. You know what, in the center of Gettysburg, you know what the, the main store was? It's got a beautiful town square. You can imagine, you know, all of the things that have happened in this historic town. You can still see a window into the past when you gaze upon this classic Pennsylvania square. Right in the middle, dead center, not a flag shop, not a military history shop, not even a shop that sells memorabilia. It was a CPAP store. They sold CPAP machines to alleviate sleep apnea. And I thought, that's interesting. You wonder, you know, the needs of the citizens. What are they? They don't need any more historic coins. What they need is something to alleviate sleep apnea. Because I got to be honest with you, when looking at other people that were also uh, strolling the battlefields and looking at the statues and plaques, uh, not a healthy breed, the Civil War enthusiasts. Significant obesity, I noticed. Not a healthy breed. Um, so the CPAP store makes sense in my mind. And I wondered, you know, what came first? Uh, your monogam clearly your monogamous lifestyle or your enthusiasm for war reenactments, you know? Like the, the chicken or egg scenario. Did you you were significantly rejected in high school and then did a deep dive in the Civil War or you did a deep dive in the Civil War, which, which caused the rejection. But now, I'm in my 40s, I think we can, it's a proper time to go back to the things that maybe you missed in high school for something more exciting. Now, it's time to focus on less exciting things. So I am a history buff, and that stuff uh, I find very interesting. I know there's a lot of debate now. Should we remove the statues of Civil War uh, participants as well as other statues from American history? That's a tough one for me, folks. That's a tough one. I mean, ultimately, I guess, you know, I'm okay with it, right? In the sense that the world recreates itself all the time. The younger generation is going to interpret this world how they want. And the generation after them will do the same. I don't see history as sort of a fixed thing. But I personally do like reading the plaques. I'm a huge plaque guy. Huge plaque guy. My kids get so annoyed when we'll go bike riding through a national park or something. I'll say, stop! They'll already know. They'll say he's, he found a plaque, I'm sure. That's why we're stopping. So, what can you do? You just, we'll get through this. I mean, I'm not, this, this whole pandemic thing, like, I don't get too upset because I can't control it, right? There's nothing I can do about it. And this is the cornerstone of Stoicism, right? Spend your efforts and energy 
and things you can control. Aside from wearing a mask, there's not much I can can do I can do to control this. So I'm just gonna be me. Maybe you know some with the the statues. Some people might say, "Well, don't even preserve history." You know, turn the battlefield into a landfill. That would be the ultimate statement, right? Don't glorify war's past. I don't know. That feels extreme, but I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm an old head. It's tough to say. There's just so much information out there right now. What's real? What's fake? This is what we spend our days doing now, right? With the COVID with social unrest, who's right, who's wrong, what news source is correct. I'm not going to spend my life battling people over different charts. I'm not going to swap charts all night with someone. It feels like I could just waste my waste my life. Do you tally up all the arguments you've had online with someone about politics? You could look back at your life and say, I've burned seven years and nothing changed. Better to just do push-ups, I would think. Time better spent just doing push-ups than arguing a vast majority of politics because you only get one vote. I know it counts. I know it's important. And I know Pennsylvania is the swing state, the keystone state. But again, don't lose yourself in politics is all I'm saying. Just You could just do push-ups. Because I just, I don't buy into so many of these conspiracy theories. I apply the law of Occam's razor to all conspiracy. Do you know this philosophical uh, sort of trope? Would that be it? Occam's razor? I don't even know what the name means, but of course I think it's unbelievable and should go into my punk rock band name list, Occam's razor. But the idea is this. The simplest explanation for an event is usually the correct explanation. The simplest is usually correct. So anytime a conspiracy requires unbelievable leap of faith to understand it, you also have to present unbelievable evidence. If there's no evidence, then that leap of faith isn't supported. So I apply Occam's razor to all of these conspiracy theories. And ultimately, I think there aren't a lot of conspiracy theories that are true. Because here's why. Human nature can't keep secrets. You can't hide stuff from two people, let alone the world in the internet age. You don't think everyone wants to have a book to sell? Every massive conspiracy, the conspirator will say, is that a word? Conspirator will sell out for a book deal. You can't hold this stuff in. I just don't have a lot of faith in people to maintain conspiracies because I haven't seen it in my real life, the ability of people maintaining Pretty much of anything. We are sloppy and short-sighted by nature. 
So Occam's razor would say, mm, this COVID-19, probably just a, a pandemic plague, potentially leaked from a lab in China, in Wuhan, because that doesn't require an insane leap of logic. As I understand, there is, in fact, the biological weapons lab in Wuhan. So the possibility that this was accidentally leaked works in the Occam's razor scale. Probably more so the idea that this was just an animal to plant or animal to uh, animal to human passing of a pandemic is probably would be more in line to Occam's razor, but I think there is the possibility of a lab leak in Wuhan because neither of these premises require unbelievable leaps of logic. The second you say something crazy, I say, well, show me the proof. Occam's razor applies to every facet of your life, not just politics. I found it to be a helpful lens to view the world. So, we'll see. I'm playing a lot of golf. Uh, a lot. Three, three rounds. The first round I played so well. Three, three birdie. Oh, I'm sorry, three pars, a birdie. Oh, and then the next round I played pretty well. Slipping a little bit, and then the last round I fell apart. So it's like this fickle, this fickle sport. It pulled me back in, got me so excited, and then left me again. I'll get out there a couple more times before the end of the year. I think men enjoy golf because it's really problem solving. Uh, I think our brains work best when we're grappling with slight problems, problems that can be solved. And golf is just that. It's a, it's a pro. Every hole is a problem to solve. And they give you a little, a little scorecard to, and a pencil to figure out the problems. You scratch things, the yardage, the the slope. You're constantly kind of sketching what what problem am I facing now? This is why it's an appealing sport. I enjoy solving low-level problems that can be solved. Like if I had a shore house, I think I would enjoy more painting the front patio, the deck of the shore house, than I would going to the beach or the boardwalk. That would be an enjoyable way for me to spend my time down the shore is painting it and listening to classic rock on the radio. Solving very, very small problems with the ocean breeze. That's all I would need, need from the shore is just the ocean breeze and some classic rock on 97.5 The Shark. So men like low-level problems. Low-level problems are what my friend deals with all the time as he works for Integrity Wealth Management. Here's the ad. This podcast is being sponsored by Integrity Wealth Management. They can help you with portfolio management, retirement planning, financial planning, estate planning and services, life insurance, and wealth preservation strategies. Please call them at 215-864-3598 or visit their website at www.integritywealthmanagement.com. And they can solve your low-level to medium-level problems.
Let's return again to the aughts, shall we? 2004, the year I was married, my bachelor party occurred the previous weekend, and I had gentlemen from all over my various friend groups, from uh, New York, New Jersey area, down D.C. area, from around here in Philly. And uh, one of my New Yorker uh, friends arrived, and he was wearing this very tight, form-fitting, uh, pinkish sort of shirt. And we, as Philadelphians, all harassed him. We said, bro, that shirt is not going to cut it in Philly. Maybe that flies in a club in New York, but not down here. And he's like, shut up, dude. Shut up, dude. This is Styles. You don't know. People in Philly don't know. Watch me, dude. Watch how people respond to this shirt. I said, I don't know, man. I don't know. Again, we're not in Soho. We're heading down to... Heading down to Center City, man. It's a different vibe. Oh, shut up, dude. Shut up, dude. So, fair, so sure enough, uh, we're all cocktailed up on a bus that we rented to head down to do some bachelor party festivities. And my friend, the New York pink-shirted friend, takes one step off the bus. He's just, his big toe, his pinky toe touched concrete in Philly for the first time. And two guys drove by and instantly yelled out, nice shirt. Homosexual slur. And I just said homosexual slur. That begins with F. It's a nice shirt. <laughs> uh, literally, his toe just touched the concrete. <laughs> and they yelled at him, which, you know, I know this is a very touchy, edgy subject, but I did feel pride. I don't know if that's what I should have felt. But, you know, I felt pride in my city. Uh and we just, we could not stop laughing. It was the perfect moment. But, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Argue with the guy? That's not a, that's not a hill I'm ready to die on. I like that phrase. That's not, no, little round top. That was a hill I'm ready to die on. But, and that was a fun night. Fun night. It's like, yeah, I've, I've had some uh, some rough and tumble nights. I, I've almost been, uh, you know, in a couple bar fights. And uh, I remember one time a dude wanted to fight me because I was wising off. And uh, he was like, shut the F up, fat boy. <laughs> like, and again, the aughts. And, uh, you know, and uh, we didn't end up grappling. I, I We were both thrown out of the bar. But, I mean, I just, that really stuck with me. I was like, Jesus, I got to lose weight. Like I was again the aughts, I, I you know probably about 10, 15 pounds heavier. I was like, man, fat boy. Like, it was sobering. So I want to thank that guy that wanted to fight me for me to really turn my life around. After that night, I started eating more whole foods, started running, and uh, thank you, sir. You were right. It took that. I needed that. It was our wedding anniversary, and we usually just get each other. We, we spend it on a trip as opposed to gifts. And, uh, you know, gift-giving, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, my wife will always say, look, I don't want anything for, like, not not a birthday or Christmas, but, like, some of the smaller ones, quote-unquote, smaller ones, Mother's Day or, or wedding anniversary. I don't want anything. I don't want it. And then at the last minute, after all stores are closed and it's just impossible to get anything, she'll be like, you know, she'll say something like, you know, come to think of it, I would like this very rare Egyptian pen. I'm like, what? It's 10 o'clock, the day before Mother's Day. Now you're laying this on me? It's just, it's unfair. 
I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> the Egyptian pen was just an absurd example. She's never asked for that. But these obscure items that clearly cannot be purchased hours before the event takes place. Are you wearing your COVID masks? I am. I want to get a mask for COVID like those masks they had in that Kubrick film, Eyes Wide Shut. Those goat orgy masks. That was the goat. That was the goat again. More exploring the wilds of PA, went out to Amish country with my youngest daughter, and we learned as we took a horse and buggy ride, and a uh, person told us all about the Amish. It's like my third time doing this. I just, I played cool like I didn't know, but I know, I know everything you're about to tell me. I'm just, just along for the ride. But I did learn one new tidbit that the Amish are very into volleyball. Very into volleyball. And they crush non-Amish schools in volleyball. I don't know why that made me so happy. The idea of the Amish excelling at volleyball, but it does. It brings me joy to know that. Then I got my yearly poison ivy. Uh, it seems every July now I get poison ivy. What happened? I never had poison ivy in my life, and once I hit my 40s, I'm suddenly susceptible to it. I don't have the antibodies anymore. Poison ivy, or as Trump would call it, Chinese ivy. Um, so, the, the human body is ridiculous. Like, really, now we're going to do this? At 44, we're going to start up with poison ivy? So, if you have poison ivy, come over and give me the antibodies. Expose me. And that was the weekend. Goats in the morning and kayaking through Philly that evening. I've kayaked a bunch of times up in the Poconos and in parks, but I've never done urban kayaking before. So this was kind of interesting on the Schuylkill. Kayak past a couple shady gentlemen smoking a blunt and fishing. I was a little concerned. My spider senses started tingling like, are we going to get mugged? I got a little concerned. Getting mugged on a kayak would be one of the low lights of my life, I'd imagine. I said, girls, paddle out. Paddle out to the set. Yep. Get in the current. I said it was because the current's better out there. But really, I was protecting my brood. Now he got, he got jacked. Kayak jacked. It could happen. So, and I, I mean, the big question mark now is school. Are we going back? Boy, there's another firestorm. You want to read 10,000 people fighting on a, on a post on Facebook? Simply roll that grenade out there. Which, again, I'm not going to waste my life on the back and forth. But I am, you know, curious. We'll see what happens. I'm trying to keep my mind sharp. One thing I'm doing is uh, I'm going to teach myself, or I'm in the process of teaching myself how to play Dungeons and Dragons, a board game. Uh, I had some video games, but now I want to kick it old school back to a board game. And in fact, it's a Dungeons and Dragons offshoot called Mage Knight, which I told my wife, I said, I got a new board game. She said, oh, for the family? I said, no, it's, it's a one-player board game. She was like, what? 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 One player? 
I wanted to get a board game that is infinitely complex that I can go an inch wide and seven miles deep. I mentioned in previous podcasts I'm a big chess fan, but now I need something I could do with just myself. So, and I, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons before, but that's untrue. One, one time I did, around eighth grade, I befriended, I worked at a restaurant and uh, under the table without working papers, lied about my age to work. That's right, kids, Generation Z, I lied about my age to work. And I burned some CDs in my time, so don't look at me as a complete, uh, you know, idol. I have my flaws. But uh, I befriended some other busboys as I was a busboy at this restaurant. And they did invite me to play Dungeons and Dragons one time. And I did attend, and it was in the boys' basement. And I remember he played a tape with bird sounds and forest sounds. And uh, I was confused the whole time, to be honest with you. I didn't know what was happening. And I felt a little ashamed that I was there. I don't know why, but I did. And I think in high school, I was even a little merciless to some of these Dungeons and Dragons kids. And really, in hindsight, I'm thinking it's because I was jealous. It's because I didn't I didn't know how to play. But even at age, like, I guess I was probably 12 or something, 13, like, I started to discover, you know, girls and, and music and other things, and, and Dungeons and Dragons never really took. But I made a mental note even then. I was like, if I ever have time again in my life, I think I want to revisit this. I, I, I marked it. I marked that in my mind. I said, you know, and then, you know, 30 some, 32, maybe 33 years later, I have the time. Now I'm ready to get a hundred sided die and be a paladin or, or a knight with, with 12 hit points. I'm ready to be a dungeon master now because I want my brain to grapple with something hard. I want to learn something. I think the brain works best when it's grappling with three problems. One that is very simple, one that is kind of a medium-range problem, and one that's a long-range problem. So the simple one could be golf, the medium one could be a home improvement, and the long-range to me feels like this Dungeons and Dragons. And as um, I'm learning the rules now, I thought not only about Dungeons and Dragons, but I thought about thinking. How do I learn? What is my process to learn new information? This game, like I said, is infinitely hard. So here's pretty much how it was. I'll break it down percentage-wise. I bought the game the other day. It hasn't arrived yet. So I've spent 70% of my time watching YouTube clips of people do game playthroughs, explaining the rules, and then reading the comments to people that ask about the rules. That's been very helpful. 30% I joined a social media group that also uh, involves just members of this board game, Mage Knight. Mage Knight. Am I saying that right? So I learned from the banter and the post from other people asking questions. Um, I didn't learn anything from the directions because they haven't arrived yet. And obviously I haven't learned anything from school because they wouldn't teach me about Dungeons and Dragons. And this is where what I think as a teacher now, as I think about how I learn school completely out of the loop. A, all right, we're kind of shut down now. B, that topic probably wouldn't come up in any class. C, I don't think a student could raise the topic. Hey, 
Instead of the lesson you were going to do, can you teach me how to play Dungeons and Dragons? Yet, I think that's a valid lesson. Not just the idea of Dungeons and Dragons, but any valid lesson in which a student wants to learn something, you might have to modify yourself. Here's who I am as a teacher, man. I don't assume my own relevance. It's not just important because I'm in the room and I'm standing there and I'm important. That's, you know, I just learned something really hard and I didn't use a teacher at all. I used YouTube and social media. So I need to take a hard look at myself and say, how can I still remain relevant? What can I do to serve this population that has unbelievable access to information? Unbelievable access to tutorials and videos. And not only are they watching these things, they're engaging them and creating them. So this is my challenge to myself and all educators as we ponder the fall and the weird way it's going to look. Stay relevant, man. Stay relevant. Stay on. All right, peoples. That's enough. Have a great day. Questions, comments, concerns, complaints. Brian Francis Podcast at Outlook.com. Enjoy your Monday. Later.